better look at God's word, I think. And because I've only got 19 minutes left, we're going to wrap the next message. One thing is the title of today's message. Just one thing. When you wake up tonight screaming, saying one thing, I want you to remember that Michael was talking about one thing. And I'm going to ask you to take one thing away from this message today in a few minutes. You can't do it all. Would anyone say amen? amen? You can't do it all. You can't be it all. You can't be there for everyone. You can't take every crisis on board. You can't take every drama on board. You can only focus your life on one thing. And a life that's focused on one thing will be a successful life in whatever it focuses on. But I want to look this morning at what Jesus said was the one thing that we should focus on. Just the week before last, I was talking about the current crisis. We've got a crisis after a crisis after a crisis after a crisis after a crisis. And they continue and they will not stop. It's the way of the world. And you know, adding to all of those existential and external crises, we have internal crises. We have dramas in our homes and in our hearts and in our lives. And there can be so much drama going on that it can kind of drive us a little bit nuts. We can be absolutely driven to distraction as a result of all the stuff that's going on in our lives and in our minds. In fact, there is an epidemic of anxiety and stress disorders as a result of all the issues that are arising at the moment, both for people personally and in our culture. There's something we need to hear this morning as we begin. If you are stressed, if you are anxious, if you are under pressure, or if you are tired, this is what the Lord wants to say to you. Very simply, be still. And know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. And when it says be still, it doesn't mean stop completely, though sometimes it does mean that. It is important that we stop at some point in every day and take in the fact that God is God and we are not God. That he's in control and that we're not in control. But when it says be still, what it really means is don't be agitated. Don't be anxious. Don't be upset. Don't be turbulent. Because of the situation of things. Be still. Let the stillness come over your life. Let the reality of God come over your life. And let it be the ruler in your heart. I want to look this morning at the story from which I drew the title. One thing this morning. It's the story of two sisters. You'll be very familiar with the story if you've read the Bible for any half decent period of time. And it's a funny story. When I say it's a funny story, it's a strange story is what I mean. Not a funny ha-ha story, but a strange story in that it seems to fit in in the middle of nowhere. Here where I'm picking it from in Luke's gospel. It seems to kind of, it seems to be almost like an afterthought. It isn't, but it almost feels like an afterthought. And the curious thing about it is that this little story is a lived parable of the meta-narrative of the Bible. Because from the very start of the story in the Bible, people have become distracted and have been driven by distraction and driven by drama away from God and driven by temptation and driven to other things away from God. And that is, if you will, the meta-narrative of the Bible and how God calls us back to himself. It's the call of the prophets, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. Jesus' call was, come back to me. This was the call, it's the meta-narrative, one of the meta-narratives of the Bible. But this is a little vignette, a little story, a little live parable. And it's about two sisters. Now, everybody, has everybody here been born into a family, by the way? Everyone there, and nobody's just come out of a test tube or a petri dish or something like that. Everyone's, so you know what it's like to have a brother or a sister or a sibling or a relative who, like, you kind of wonder, how did that person come out of the same lines that I came out of? Yeah. Do you, you ever find that? Yeah. There's an awful lot of them in, I know, I know. 
How did that person come out of the same family? Like me, you same mother, same father. How did that person come out? And you can see it in lots of different families. You have kids, excuse me, they're really on top of their game. They're 100% switched on, bang, 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 bang. And then you have kids who are like, what? Seems to be like the word of their life. Huh? Sorry? You have those kind of kids. Well, this is actually a story of two people who actually are probably quite similar to that. And they're the sisters called Martha and Mary. And their story is recorded in Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 39 to 42. Now, the difference between them is this. Martha is organized. She's the one with the bullet points. She's the one with the checklist. She's up before dawn. Everything she wears is ironed a month in advance. She has a full calendar. And if you want to meet Martha, you have to book about two months in advance. Because she's on her game. She's up, she's made up incredibly. She looks amazing. And then there's her sister, Mary. Hey, baby. Mary just comes out of her bedroom in the morning like it's a, like a study, but she kind of goes, hey, I'm happy. I know Jesus, it's amazing, man. There was a girl who came to church here a number of years ago, um, a long time ago. She's not here in the church anymore, but um, she, she's gone to another church. But um, she used to come into church and she became a Christian at Grace. And I met her one day and I said, how are you getting on? Let's, I won't even give her a name. Let's call her Mary. How are you getting on, Mary? And she said, man, she says, I love this church. It's effing amazing. Praise the Lord. You know what I said? She said, you know... I really love Jesus. I mean, I really love Jesus. And I thought, oh no, the words are wrong, but the sentiment is right. The words are wrong, but the sentiment is right. She loved Jesus. She fell for Jesus, head over heels. And that's what you've got to think about Mary here, not the language, but the sentiment. So Mary's thinking, hey, Jesus is like amazing, man. You know, it's like, he just comes into your life and he just does amazing things. And that's who Jesus is. Whereas Martha's much more on top of her game. Martha has plans. You know the way some... Actually, you better not go there. Actually, moving swiftly on. Martha has plans. She probably has plans for Mary. But anyway, let's read the story. May God bless us as we read his word. May it speak to us in Jesus' name and God's people. Okay. I say that an awful lot. I should say less. Anyway, here we go. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a certain village where a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. She said, you're Jesus, you're the famous rabbi, you've been healing, you've been preaching, come to my home, I want to cook a meal for you. Fantastic, she was hospitable, she was generous, she was giving, she was kind, and the story continues. Her sister Mary sat at the Lord's feet, listening to what he taught, but Martha was distracted by the big dinner that she was preparing. So Martha, the organized one, the one who planned all of this, is the one who's running around the place making sure there's enough wine and there's enough of the, the fatted calf has been slaughtered and that the bread is baked and that the salad is ready. She's rushing around making sure all this has happened and there's a big dinner and it's a big dinner not because Jesus needs an awful lot of food but because Jesus has brought an entourage with him because where Jesus went his disciples went. So you had these 12 big hairy hungry fellas coming into our house looking for a bite to eat with Jesus. Now, Jesus was not that taken up with food. In actual fact, a few times we know that he fasted for 40 days and went to the desert. And another time, he specifically says to his disciples, my food is to do the will of my Father in heaven. He wasn't that worried about food. It wasn't a big deal for him. And so, but Martha really wants to do a good job for him. It's a bit like if the President of Ireland was coming to here. I mean, we tried to get him, but he wouldn't come for whatever reason. The President was coming here to open our building. 
And what he really wanted to do is he wanted to come in and he wanted to be with and meet this Christian community. But when he came, we were all busy painting and cleaning and mopping and vacuuming the floor and getting stuff ready. And he walks in and nobody pays attention to him because they're too busy preparing for him. Are you with me? Yeah. But that's not what he came for. He came to meet the people. And that's why Jesus went to Martha's house. Not because he was starving and dying for something to eat. But because he wanted to meet with people. And he wanted to teach the good news of the kingdom. And so Mary's sitting down. But Martha's busy. And then it gets very interesting. She came. Martha came to Jesus and said. Lord. Doesn't it seem unfair to you. That my sister just sits here. While I do all the work. Tell her to come and help me. Lord, doesn't it seem unfair to you? In other words, Martha's mind was completely made up that this was an unfair situation. Martha's mind was made up that she was right. Lord, aren't I right that Mary should be helping me do this job? Tell her to come and help me. Tell her to do it. You tell her, Lord, if you give the command, she'll do it. But hold up a second. Back up the truck a minute. Handbrake on. Who invited Jesus to the house? Martha invited Jesus to the house. Not Mary. Martha invited him. And you know, sometimes that happens in our lives, brothers and sisters. And I think it's very important that we pay attention to this. Sometimes dramas will happen in people's lives and they'll want to drag you into their drama. They'll want to pull you into their, what is really their responsibility. It's not your responsibility, it's their responsibility. But they will want to pull you in. Don't you think it's fair that I'm doing all this on my own? And they pull you into this drama. And this is exactly, no, give me wrong, before I go any further, I want to say this. It's not Mary good, Martha bad. It's nothing at all like that. It's just two very different people. But one of them has their focus 100% right, and the other's focus is not 100% right. That's all I'm saying. But she's trying to pull and get Jesus to be the judge in the situation. Because you know what? Sometimes when we're doing something, we do feel like, why am I the only person doing this? Even if we've chosen to do it. Do you know that at home, and this is another secret from my home. At home, they have coined a phrase for a face that I wear when I'm busy cleaning the house. Would you believe it? They call it Dad's angry cleaning face. <laughs> Dad's angry. So, when, what, because I love cleaning. I actually really enjoy it. I enjoy cleaning. I enjoy filling the dishwasher. I'm the dishwasher clean. You know, putting on clothes, hanging up the clothes and the, the washing line, vacuuming the house. I like it. It's actually, I get great pleasure from doing that kind of work. I really do. But sometimes when I'm in the middle of it, what happens is I kind of go... Like, why am I the only one doing this? Why are those big, lazy lugs of young fellas of mine not doing this? Not doing this. And so recently I was standing in the kitchen filling up the dishwasher, totally unconscious of my face, and next thing, in comes one of my sons, and he walks in and he goes, whoop, dad's angry cleaning face. And he literally turned around and walked back out again. And you know what? They're right. Because I choose to do the cleaning up. Why should I be cranky with them? I chose to clean it up. No, I still think that they should clean it up. Don't get me wrong. But I chose to clean up. And there is the situation where Martha is dragging Jesus into Mary. Dragging Mary into her drama that she should solve it. I love Jesus' response. Brothers and sisters, I know today that there are some people who have experienced being dragged into the dramas of other people today. Resist it with all that you are worth. Do not get involved in somebody else's war. Do not get involved in somebody else's fight. Do not get involved in somebody else's drama. Keep your peace. Amen. Keep your peace. Jesus answered. The Lord said to her, Dear Martha, you're worried about all these details. And then the answer. But there's only one thing worth being concerned about. 
Mary has chosen it and it will not be taken away from her. There's only how many things? One thing worth being concerned about. One thing worth being concerned about. Yeah, but what about the food? Lord, no, one thing to be concerned about. But what about the condition of the room? One thing worth being concerned about. But you have the fish and stuff that aren't painted yet. Yeah, one thing that isn't, that is worth being concerned about. Mary has chosen it and it will not be taken away from her. If you will, brothers and sisters, choose the one thing that Jesus says is important in your life. If you will choose the one thing, it will not be taken from you. There's, that's where your reward, that's where your happiness, that's where your future lies in focusing on the one thing that Jesus said. And what was that one thing? It was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to what he taught that was it. Being with Jesus, being in the presence of Jesus, being in the company of Jesus. That was the most important thing. You see, we're living in a distracted world. We're all going around the place and we're all being driven to distraction in so many different ways. We're constantly living with distractions. And we're constantly having things that turn our head and distract us. Probably one of the most significant ones is our phone. And believe not, being distracted by your phone is actually not a very clever thing to do, especially when you're driving. Now, I want you to confess your sins, okay? Because it's good for your soul, okay? How many people here who drive, obviously, don't tell me if you've stolen a car, but if you drive and you, you've used a mobile phone while you were driving? Would you, you put your hand up? Put it up higher. So of all the car owners here, 19 have driven and used their mobile phone. What a bunch of liars. I've never seen it in all my life. In the last service, the honest 10 o'clock service, 90% of the drivers put their hands up and only 10% chose to lie. We've all done it. If you drive, you've used your mobile phone while you're driving. You shouldn't be doing it. No, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. Come out, foul spirit. Foul land spirit, come out. Let me tell you some brief statistics that are worth paying attention to. Did you know that one out of four car crashes, car accidents, fatal and non-fatal, is caused or involves the use of a mobile phone? Would you believe that? One in four. Would you believe you're four times more likely to crash using a mobile phone while driving than if you're not? Did you know that if you take your eyes off the road for one second, traveling at 50 kilometers per hour, you've traveled 14 meters from here to the door? That's how far you've traveled, just by taking your eye off the road. Last year, or sorry, my apologies, in 2019, there were 8,000 road accidents, fatal and non-fatal in Ireland, of which 2,000, at least 2,000, involved the use of a mobile phone by the driver while driving. And lastly, to me the most surprising one, is that the reaction time of somebody using a mobile phone while driving is slower than somebody who is two times over the drink and drug driving limit. There's no drug driving limit, but drink driving limit. It's two times you are less reactive simply by being on the phone. Using a phone is a distraction that is diabolical, dangerous, and deadly. And you know something? In our souls and in our lives, there are so many distractions that are diabolical, dangerous, and deadly because they take our eyes off the one thing that's really, really important, focusing on Jesus. I like this quote. It's a quote, um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. It's about how the devil loves to distract us. Sorry, it's Adam Statemuller. I always get it wrong. One of the devil's greatest tools is distraction. It's a devastating weapon. The devil may smile every time we obey God blatantly, but he's just as pleased when he lures us into meaningless distraction. 
when we're distracted away from the purpose that God has called us to live in, when He's called us, when we're distracted away from focusing on the presence of Jesus Christ, the devil is just as happy because the result is the same. We're separated from God. We're separated from the one thing that would give us life and would give life to our souls. He's delighted with it. Paul said, he gave a warning to the Ephesians. He said, take up the shield of faith, he says. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And you know, we think flaming darts are always, you know, a vicious word or a satanic attack. Sometimes it's just a distraction. Something goes off in our lives. Something happens in our lives that distracts us away from the purpose of God. It can be a dart of discouragement. It can be a dart of a demand. It can be a dart of a distraction that happens in our lives. We have to hold up the shield of faith and say, No, I'm not going to be turned from my purpose. No, I'm not going to reject what God has said about my life and how I should live and how he has called me to live with him and in his presence. Are you with me? Amen. You with me so far? I've got a couple of more verses for you and I'll, I'm actually really am blazing through it, okay? Just for the record. See? see, 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 see blazing through it. Blazing through. Here we go. Here's a couple of verses that, um, that I read recently in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And they're, they're there when you read them. Certain, some versions they read slightly different. This is from the NLT. And here's something that Paul says that's really important. And he begins by saying that the time is short. Now, can I just say it here? When Paul wrote this, when he meant by the time being short, he meant Jesus was coming back soon. And Jesus is coming back soon. But all of our time is short. And let me explain why that is. I'm 54 years of age. Even if I live to 84, by God's grace, 94, would any of you get to be, give me 104? Amen. 104, 110, 114, I'll take it, I'll take it. If I live that long, wouldn't you say that 30 years is a short period of time? In a life? If somebody died at 30, would you say they had a long, full life? You wouldn't. So the time for me is short. The time for you is short. Whether the Lord comes to us or we go to be with the Lord, the time is short. And this is the context into which Paul gives the following advice. This is what he says. Let me say this, dear brothers and sisters, that the time that remains is very short. From now on, those with wives should not focus only on their marriage. Let us close in prayer. Do <laughs> you want to stand with me? All the men can stand with me. Oh, yes, Lord, thank you for your prophetic word this morning. You're not supposed to focus only on your marriage. And when you go home today, you can say to your wife, Michael said I don't have to focus on my marriage anymore, but that I can focus on my hobbies too. Do you think that that's what Paul meant? From now on, don't focus on your marriage. Go and play golf. That's not what he meant. Go and clean your car. Go to the races. Do whatever it is. Go to the pub. And no, don't go to the pub. And you're whatever you're thinking of doing. This is not what he means. Don't focus on your marriage. Because you know it's good to have a good marriage. It's good to have a good marriage. Yeah. But it's not the only thing that should be the focus of our lives. Because you know what? Having a good relationship with Jesus tends to lead to a good relationship to your wife or husband. Amen. That's the truth of it. Yeah. That's the truth of it. And if you actually read the New Testament, that's kind of what they say in all of the letters. We shouldn't focus only on a marriage. Because you know what? You can go down to any bookshop, go to any bookshop online, and you will find a million books on how to have a better marriage. But it's not the only thing you should focus on. And a Christian shouldn't only focus on having just a better marriage. There's got to be more to life than that. Would anyone say amen? amen. He goes on to say this, however. He says, those who weep or rejoice or who buy things should not be absorbed in their weeping or their joy or their possessions. 
Don't be absorbed in your weeping. There's a lot to be sad about in most lives. In most lives, there's a lot of things that will take us down. Discouragements, all sorts of issues, depression sometimes. And some people can make a whole life out of being defined by their sorrows. He says, don't be absorbed. Don't be absorbed by your weeping only. Don't be absorbed by it. Don't let it take up your whole life. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Because he's the cure. He's the solution to your situation. And don't be just focusing on your joys. The things that make you happy. I'm here. I'm here for the core here all the time. We're not here for a long time. We're here for a good time. It's not just about your joys. Don't just focus on that. And don't just focus on your possessions. He goes on to say, yeah, it's great to have possessions. God has given us everything for our enjoyment. Would anyone say amen? It's important. It's good that we, when we're blessed with homes and we're blessed with things that we can use in this life to make our lives better and easier and stronger. That is wonderful. But we're not supposed to be taken up with them or absorbed. And by the way, absorbed, the good word, it means to be soaked in. Don't be just soaked in having a happy marriage. Don't just be soaked in being sad. Don't just be soaked in rejoicing all the time. But focus on the Lord. He goes on to say this. He says, And those who use the things of this world should not become attached to them because the world as we know it will soon pass away. Everything in our lives, including us, is temporary. It's all temporary. The brand new Mercedes that you buy today, it's going to be a pile of rust in 20 years' time. It's temporary. The home that we exhaust ourselves making sure is clean. Mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. The thing that we make sure is clean. It's going to fall down in 50 years' time or 100 years' time. Or it's going to be someone else's. Don't become absorbed by it. Because this world as we know it, it's going to pass away. It's all going to be gone. We're going to pass. Everything's going to pass. What will our lives amount to if all we focus on is sorrow, joy, and possessions? That's the question that he's posing. And so I come back to you and I say to you again, there's only one thing that we should be focused on. Jesus said there was only one thing that we should really be focused on. He said all the people that live around you, they're taking up what they should eat, what they should drink, how they should live, what they should wear, where they should drive, how they should carry themselves, what hobbies they should be interested in. He said everybody's interested in these things. But then Jesus said this, he said, you, the thing you should want most is God's kingdom and doing what God wants. And then all these other things you need will just be given to you. Amen. They'll just be given to you. What you need to eat and what you need to drink and where you need to live and how you go, what car you're going to drink. They'll just be given to you by focusing on, to use the old term, seeking the kingdom of God first. That's the one thing that we need to do in our lives. Now you'd expect you coming to a Christian church and that is what you'd hear. Well that's good because then we're living up to our reputation. You come into a Christian church you hear and they say to you the one most important thing we do is be in relationship with God. If you are not in an active living relationship with God I urge you to put that right today. Today, invite him to be in your life. Invite, accept his invitation into his life today. Engage with Jesus Christ. If you do one thing today, brothers and sisters, if you do one thing today, one thing, make sure you get yourself on your own into the presence of Jesus Christ. Undistracted, with nothing on you, just in God's presence and pray. And keep it simple. You know, I struggled for a long time. 
as a, especially as a young Christian. I'm nearly finished, I'm nearly finished, so be, be gracious to me, we'll pray simply in a second. I struggled for a long time as a, as a young Christian to pray. Not that I, I, you know, I, I obviously agreed with praying, and I thought it was the right thing to do, but I often wondered if I was doing it right. Am I doing the prayer thing right? Am I praying in the right way? I pray the, I pray the Lord's Prayer, I pray the Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd I shall not want, I prayed some of the prayers of Abraham, prayers of David in the Old Testament, but I often wonder, am I praying Right. So this is what I did. I started reading books about prayer. Great to read books about prayer. Fantastic. And I knew sentimentally that the right thing to do was to pray. So emotionally, we should pray. Would you agree? Intellectually, we know we think, we know we should pray. Isn't that right? So we feel we should pray. We know we should pray. But the one thing that sometimes evades us is the actual praying. It's the doing of the prayer. And let me say this to you today. If you're praying, if you are praying to Jesus Christ, your Savior, you pray to the Father in Jesus' name with the power of the Holy Spirit. That's simple. Pray to the Father in Jesus' name with the power of the Holy Spirit, with the strength of the Holy Spirit. And if you're praying that way, however you are praying, you are doing it right. Okay? Don't get yourself into the knot that I got myself into. That has to be right. If you're doing it, you're doing it Right, let me, get, let me bring it to a point. Every one of us needs a target in our life. Everything needs something that we should aim for. What's the one thing that we should aim for? If you don't know what I'm talking about by now, then I am really no good at this job. I can tell you that. I'm really failing if you don't know what the one thing is. Here is what the psalmist said. He said, one thing I ask of the Lord. The thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Did that mean he wanted to actually live in the physical temple? No, he wanted to be in God's presence and know God's presence in his life all the days of his life he said that was the one thing he wanted that was his one request of the Lord that he would know him I like what Paul says in the New Testament he says I love actually in the preamble to the the statement I'm going to put up here this is my last verse by the way that I'm about to put up in the preamble he says this brothers and sisters I don't have it all together and I don't have it all figured out and I don't know exactly how it's all going to work but then he goes on to say this but this one thing I do The one thing I do is I forget what's behind and I strain towards what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. And he takes it out of the sentiment, out of the emotion. He takes it out of the thinking and he turns it into his action. He says, this is the one thing I do. The psalmist said, this I ask. Paul said, this thing I do. And he wants to do this one thing. Why is it? Why is that one thing? Because that one thing is worth everything. If you do nothing else, if you do that one thing, then you will be doing the one thing that God wants you to do. Seek his kingdom. Seek his presence. Know his presence. First and foremost in your life.